0: Again, with any technology, there, there is the potential, so it's almost like looking at um, not, not going down the wrong path with the human use of, of the negative side as compared to the positive side. For me, I, I do feel like when the Internet itself came out and when we had things like Wikipedia, if, if you felt that hum- humanity humankind are net negative people – then the bad would outweigh the good and Wikipedia would be full of false and fake information. But surprisingly, it. there's way more people interested in the truth and in good than there are sort of trolls out there. And to me, that was definitely encouraging. And I think if we look at the potential for weaponized or rogue AI that could be used you know, for mass warfare or slaughter, and, and we're trying to foresee and think about how to assess those risks right now, I think the best ap- approach is to augment ourselves in the way that we're looking at those, those risk factors.
1: Welcome to the Habits to Goals podcast with Martin Grunberg. It's time to take control of your life. Are you ready to achieve goals faster and more consistently than ever before? You need The Habit Factor. You're listening to Habits to Goals, the podcast that helps you create the habits that lead to success.
0: And here is Martin Grumberg.
1: Alrighty, here we go. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining me. My name is Martin Grunberg. You have reached Habits to Goals. Yes, the podcast that is consistently reminding you when you intentionally craft and align habits to your goals, it is the quickest way, the most efficient way to reach and achieve your goals. I have Been promising for a very long time, an epic interview. I got a good feeling about this. We have a tremendous guest on the line. He is a phenomenal entrepreneur. He is, I'm almost certain, an inventor who holds many patents. And now, of course, we have him on the show because he's written a bestseller. His name is Alex Bates. The book is Augmented Mind. And the subtitle is AI superhumans in the next economic revolution. Mister Bates, Alex Bates, how you doing, sir?
0: Doing doing great, and great to be on with
1: here today. Well, it's fantastic to have you. Remember to stay close to the mic. I am slightly bummed we we couldn't get you in the studio, but we'll do that next time around. I know that it was... sounds great. We <laughs> we yeah. almost had you here. Um, so customarily, Alex, we kick off the show with something called the GTR, which is the Good Things Report, just something top of mind that, that is good or great going on in your life that you'd like to share with the audience.
0: All right. Well, gosh, a lot to be grateful for uh, lately, but... <laughs> I, I had um, a lot of my East Coast family, all from from New York, had a chance to have them out to visit over the holidays out here in San Diego and just uh, spend a lot of time. And a lot of them had never met my uh, my daughter before, his two. So just seeing them all interact and, and celebrate the holidays was uh, was really, really phenomenal. So very grateful for that.
1: Yeah. You know, that's beautiful to get the family together over the holidays. And how old's your daughter?
0: Uh, she's pushing two and a half, uh, at this
1: point. <laughs> two and a half. Wow. You got your hands full. And then the East coast, where, where is family coming from there?
0: Yeah, mostly New York and then a couple from Chicago. And, um, yeah, it was just really, uh, really great to see him. I hadn't seen them in quite a while. So that was, that was awesome.
1: Beautiful. And, uh, I should, should have said at the kickoff that we, we, we can flip for who goes first, but since you've gone first, I'll give you my GTR. That'd be my great. daughters who are not two and a half, rather they are 16 and 18 at this point. So like I said, <laughs> <laughs> kind of a different universe, but you will appreciate this because I know what, what a brilliant mind you are and academic you are. Uh, they both had straight A's. So i'm slightly slightly bragging, very proud couple of cool. classes yeah the the eldest, I think it appears she's gonna have her high school career evening out right around a four o and then the the youngest sixteen she's she <laughs> I couldn't even spell a plus she pulled in i think six or seven a pluses, so no kidding. Yeah, pretty freaky. Uh, I'm not sure. Well, I am sure. You know, all the credit goes to my brilliant wife. So having said that, we got the GTRs out of the way. Before we get into this phenomenal book, Augmented Mind, um, take us back because as much as I love the work, uh, what we do here on the show is we kind of get into the background about the the entrepreneur, the author, we want to understand the person behind the creativity. So, and I'm sure there's a great story there. I know you wrote a lot of this in the book, but I don't want to give it away. So, so take us back kind of where you grew up, uh, where you went to high school. You know, you were, I think, a self-described geek battling for, battling for computer time. So, So set the table there. Where did that all happen?
0: Yeah, well, yeah, I I mostly grew up in in Portland, Oregon, but we went through a period where we moved sort of six different cities while I was in elementary school, but settled down in in Portland for middle school onwards. And around that time, it was really exciting because the the internet was really just coming of age and emerging from telephone networks, which was kind of the earlier incarnation of it. Right. and we had the one family computer, so my brother and I, uh, treasured every minute we could get. <laughs> and, and also, would, of course fight over it. But yeah, I got this kind of obsession with, um, this field called artificial neural networks, which was, is really one of the hot areas at the time and a precursor of all the machine learning developments we see today. So, and, yeah.
1: Before we go, uh, too far ahead there. So you guys had, what, what was the computer back then?
0: Uh, gosh, we, we went through, my dad was a journalist, so it started with these things where it, it was when a typewriter suddenly had a screen <laughs> about two inches wide that you could hold t- like 20 characters. And, and that was revolutionary at the time, all the way through, you know, 286, 386, and then early PCs, and uh, you know, that, those kinds of things.
1: That's phenomenal. And so, you said middle school, you're, you're growing up in, in Portland, right?
0: Yeah, that's right. Portland, Oregon. Yeah.
1: And then you end up going where? Uh, to college?
0: Yeah. So I went to Portland to uh, Lincoln High School and then went on to the University of Oregon, had this Clark Honors College, sort of a small liberal arts college within the greater university. Um, so went to school there locally um, before I moved down to San Diego. And then is that
1: where you doubled majored or was that somewhere else? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I kind of triple majored. Well, I double majored in <laughs> in, uh, in math and computer science, but I took probably 64 credits in neuroscience and computational neuroscience. They didn't really have a major in that, but it I, it was, didn't really matter. I was just sort of obsessed with that. So that was sort of the third focus area.
1: So you're already
0: in what year is this? Uh... This was, I uh, graduated in 2000, so late, late 90s into 2000. 2000, insane.
1: And at that point, you're already trying to kind of span or bridge this, this, these two different disciplines and, and see where they intersect?
0: Yeah, definitely. I think just really interested in where, at the applied end of the spectrum, where the research translated into the real world applications and that kind of thing.
1: Incredible, and so out of school, just talk us through how how you end up in the entrepreneurial venture space as opposed to because you were considering going down, you know, the the scholarly academic road, right?
0: Yeah, that's right. Yes, and I and I had I had been privileged to do research at a couple of different labs as an undergrad and knocked out some about five publications, and I think they all expected I would go on the grad school path and I I definitely considered it. And I I think I I just decided to take a leave of absence and I was fascinated by entrepreneurship and had read all these biographies and decided to jump in the private sector and figured I would maybe go back. But whether I did or didn't, I always figured I would be somewhere where the applied end of the research and development would really get, you know, pushed into the real world. So, You're
1: taking these classes, like like how how is it? I mean, you you broke it down so brilliantly in the book, but I want you to kind of tell the story where you saw the the gap and how this AI was going to fill the gap as it you know relates to heavy machinery and that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, well, that was that was a very interesting, almost unpredictable path. I think I always knew that, at least I always had just. Oh faith in the power of this this field of neural networks and machine learning that and we went through a winter so what happened is often there will be an economic downturn a recession and sometimes that will overlap with one specific type of technology and sometimes you'll have what they call like an ai winter where you're not in a recession but there's like a recession just in one particular discipline and so we went through the downturn in to, in the early 2000s, right? The kind of the dot com bubble burst. Right. Then, then after that, we had this this AI winter, and it was part it was partly because there was a big focus on cost cutting, and these neural networks were, you know, siphoning off all the compute power, and and people said we need a simpler simpler solution. And but so during that kind of dual winter of the economic downturn and then the AI winter. Um, i w- we were i had done a stint at a big data company called teradata and then i had done some consulting where i met my co-founder and i really had no background in industrial aside from a brief company in oregon um so it was one of those things where this opportunistic thing my co-founder had this mechanical engineering knowledge and i brought the uh, kind of the ai to the table
1: yeah and i mean just from a chance you know, happenstance almost encounter. It's, it's a phenomenal story, but I just realized, uh, we, I may have made a gross error. So, so let's back it up. Let's, and by let's and us, I mean you define what is AI and what, what do you mean when you're saying neural networks?
0: Yeah, that's a, that's an important question because these <laughs> definitions, themselves have evolved over the years as well as the kind of the perceptions and then of course the marketing but yeah for me artificial neural networks was a field that spun out where it was biologically inspired approaches where they looked at how brains and nervous systems in the animal kingdom could learn patterns and and basically compute and you know give rise to the intelligent behavior we see in all these organisms and artificial neural networks said Let's look at just if you look at neurons and they have these synapses and you can actually figure out how they learn and then just feed in inputs and outputs and get a learning system the way that most animals, you know, are born and then tend to learn and interact with their environment adaptively. So that that was a subfield of artificial intelligence. Now, over the last couple decades, what's happened is machine learning came about partly because there's other approaches that are not neural network based that became you know powerful and and had had utility even though they didn't weren't sort of biologically inspired so now artificial intelligence tends to be this umbrella term where underneath it you have machine learning and underneath machine learning you have artificial neural networks
1: and so what if i'm a visual person and i'm trying to understand a neural network is it really just a a bank of servers just connected and doing different
0: things? Yeah, this one, it's a little hard to visualize, but one way to think about it, an electronic circuit that takes in inputs and computes an output, like a simple one might be um, a circuit that detects a certain picture that gets projected on the visual inputs. And if it sees it, it outputs a one. If it sees something else, it outputs a zero. Mm. And that would be like a static circuit that, It looks for some pattern and then it outputs a number depending on what it sees. A neural network, the key addition, is it's a learning system. So it starts off, it doesn't know really anything, almost like a human infant. And then it sees things and it it makes a decision and it's either right or wrong. And there's a feedback loop called error correction where over time it learns to adapt to recognize specific patterns. And so that's kind of the fundamental of neural networks.
1: That's amazing. And then AI in the simplest term or description, how would you, I mean, I understand it's, it's kind of got this broad overarching meaning and it can mean of different things, but maybe I'll take a stab at it. is it not just the ability for a computer to kind of learn or teach itself or is that?
0: Yeah, I think learning learning is a key part of it, but even broader than that, potentially, you can theoretically have intelligent behavior that was pre-programmed and not learned. So I, I think learning is fundamental, uh, but artificial intelligence is, it implies it's a system that a lot of times they'll include the term goal-directed behavior, meaning right. it can accomplish goals and sometimes there's challenges thrown its way. And sometimes it uses learning to, to accomplish those goals and sometimes it doesn't, but that would kind of be one, one that's, overarching definition. So,
1: and that's incredible because the title of this show, as you know, is habits to goals. So mm. if, art, if, uh, yeah, habits to goals. So if, if, if AI is goal directed behavior or learning on the path to goal achievement, then I think just for, that, just for that reason alone, we have a, we have a good fit. That's
0: fascinating. Kind of a meta perspective. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, and I'll tell you the other meta perspective. Um, it seems to me as I was reading this, so, so you have this one camp and this is why I love the your book and the, the ideas behind it. On one camp, you have these people saying, um, AI is bad. It's dangerous. It's scary. And then, you know, you have, you have other people saying it's, It's good. And then in, in the world of habit, uh, you have the same thing. People are saying habit is bad. Habit is good. It's neither. And I would submit to you. And I think that's what you're doing here with this work is, is it's good or it's bad. It's, it's potentially both. It's how we use it. It's a tool. And what I love about what you're doing is, um, saying, not only can it be terrific, but when you combine the the creativity of the human mind, the things that humans do intrinsically well and intuitively well, like Intuit, and then you combine that with artificial intelligence, um, you have an unbeatable um, force, if you will. So I, I think that's another meta-parallel, if you will.
0: Yeah, I think that's, you hit on a really deep point. I mean, technology, of course, Homo sapiens are tool users and that's a fundamental part of what it, what it means to be human. And if you look at the technologies we've used over the years, even, even the wheel, right? The wheel can be used to wheel tanks into battle. So really, it's a double-edged sword. I mean, fire itself, right? You can get burned, but you can also use it for all kinds of things for survival. So. Uh, I think that that's fundamental. And of course applies to artificial intelligence as just another incarnation of our technology.
1: Well, it's it's, okay. So it's, I love that you use the term meta, meta, um, I wanted to say metaphorically, we're, we're, we're both looking at these forces, if you will, and saying this can be good, or this can be bad. Now we want to set that aside and jump back to your background because as an entrepreneur um you're going through these technology winters if you or AI winters and things are looking pretty dark and ugly so so what what was the vision so you you meet your partner and you guys have a mission which i'm sure I hope you will share, and then what was the vision what did what did you guys see as an opportunity, a problem to solve?
0: Yeah, well, starting with the problem itself and our understanding of that, and then getting to the vision, I think at the time it was clear that we looked at these these big industrial enterprises we were doing consulting with power and oil and gas companies at the time and just helping them with some custom solutions to optimize power plants and we saw they they'd have all these repetitive breakdowns, and certainly. My co-founder, Paul, came from that industry where he'd seen these these huge factories and process facilities would have machine failure that could kill people. It could destroy the environment, all, all kinds of secondary impacts. And so the, the the sort of challenge was was very clear. We also saw that all this new data and technology was coming online and none of these companies were using it. And it's not that they didn't have good intentions it's just that they were kind of felt like they were drowning in, in this data and really didn't know what to do with it so they'd use these old-school maintenance philosophies where it was like calendar maintenance and really our vision what we what we came up with was creating a world that doesn't break down was our, our mission statement say okay. that
1: again because I think it's so powerful
0: <laughs> oh thank you yeah so it was uh, it was creating a world that doesn't break down creating a world that doesn't
1: break down. That is so fantastic!
0: Yeah, th- thanks so much. It, it for, <laughs> for us it, it definitely, and and for our team, I think it inspired us. But we we also to really get that those core values instilled in everyone. We would send engineers out to things like drilling rigs so they could experience a day in the life. Because when you were when you were, you were out there with those operators, you you definitely felt it at a deep level. And these were smart people, and they're they're doing their best, but they had pretty, pretty immense challenges. And that's what we were trying to assist with.
1: Yeah. High, high risk, high stakes environment. Uh, I'm guessing if a rig or something goes down, it could be millions of dollars a day. And their, their mindset is we're just doing what we've always done, which is maintenance by checking. If our calendar says, uh, you know, it's June 12th, it's time to Change out a, a washer or a bolt. Um, and so you guys are saying, well, these machines are producing so much, so much data. And correct me if I'm wrong that there's a way that AI can run through that data and, and in a proactive fashion say, Hey, this thing might, based on what we've seen in the past, this thing may, might break down in, uh, you know, two or three weeks.
0: Yeah, that's, that's exactly right because what we found was our, our machine learning pattern recognition could, could detect patterns that the human operators couldn't see. And, and the other key part was it, it could adapt because things change, you know, facilities evolve, new equipment is installed. And the, the previous approach, they would try to do rules and thresholds like if the cylinder temperature exceeds 190 degrees, then we need to go do an inspection. But those are really too rigid and with our, our machine learning neural network approach. We're able to learn patterns, but also adapt to change at the same time. That's so phenomenal.
1: So let's go back to one of that, that early AI winner. I thought there was at one point and it may have, it may have been a different AI winner. It was based on um, somebody writing a white paper or, or a book and saying how AI is never going to get beyond this or that. And then people it was a well-respected scholar. So people, people started, uh, or stopped investing. Um, so talk about some of those challenges.
0: Yeah, that's right. Cause, uh, there, you know, in the sixties was an amazing time because every couple of years you'd have some kind of breakthrough and a lot of people forecast that within 10 years we'd have superhuman Intel artificial intelligence. Right. And, and then of course they ran into some challenges and the, there was a, a paper written, there were a couple things. There was a paper written by um, an MIT professor that pointed out that the neural networks at the time were unable to basically learn to discriminate simple nonlinear patterns. And, and to put it simply, they, they just couldn't solve problems that very simple non-neural network approaches could. And, and that, that paper really led to a lot of people to declare neural networks are dead, and it definitely was it contributed to a winter in that that whole branch. And it wasn't until a breakthrough from a professor uh, later called Jeff Hinn that that they that they basically cracked the ability to have deeper neural networks. But that that definitely led to a, a big freeze in that in that field.
1: So and let's talk about some of those breakthroughs, because I I have always been a fan of chess and. All right. Just a quick time out. I want to make sure you know about the free habit tracking slash building template that I will send to you right away. All you have to do is text 33444. That is 33444 and simply text the word HABITS. That's right. HABITS, H-A-B-I-T-S, to 33444. 444 and I'll get you your free habit tracking slash building template right away. Now let's get back to this amazing interview. It it was IBM who, who saw chess as the perfect, the perfect game for AI. Right. And, and, and there was a time when, a computer couldn't beat a grandmaster, and then ultimately, the computer. I mean, it was Deep Blue, right? IBM's Deep Blue. That, that that's right. That was able to beat. I think it was Kasparov, right?
0: Yeah. So that was that was a key milestone. So Kasparov was sort of dethroned and humanity by extension. <laughs> uh, and so, <laughs> so, so yeah, Miami that was dethroned. <laughs> but, but then. He,
1: and and again, one of your great points in this book is, and it's so well-researched, you talk about this centaur concept. And and I can't remember, are they centaur teams in chess?
0: Yeah, exactly. And that, that term was coined by, um, well, it's been used by a couple. Kevin Kelly, the former editor of Wired Magazine, really um, spread that term. But yeah, these centaur hybrid human AI teams, are now the state of the art. So at the time, we kind of felt like, well, I guess we're done. And when it comes to chess, AI can win. But then Kasparov himself formed these freestyle tournaments where he said, you can have a pure AI team or you can have a pure human team. But the interesting decision they made is, or you can have a hybrid team with humans and AIs working together. And then the surprising thing is that these hybrid teams um, started winning all the tournaments. And so that was sort of one of the the first case studies for this concept of a human AI centaur
1: that is first of all it's, <laughs> it is as a human that's super encouraging um, and and it's fascinating because you're you're taking the creativity um, and the intuition of a human you're combining it with you know a computer that can read six million what is it? One million books in six minutes or something. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and you have the ultimate, like you said, the superhuman, you have the ultimate competitor. So it could be a human and it can be the computer. It's this centaur.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That, and that was I think that was a surprising thing, but now we're seeing that spread into other areas besides chess. So that's definitely encouraging for, uh, for the human role
1: it's super encouraging. So what do you think's going on if you were to guess? <laughs> I mean, I don't know how you analyze it, but when when a I mean, let me ask this a different way. Will a computer using AI or a neural network ever have the ability to be and I, I know you get into all sorts of, you know, musically creative and and even paintings, but but creative like a human, um, where they have this intuition, you know, at the level that a Kasparov might see something on on a chessboard and just intuitively guess something, or or is that intuition? Is that just more and more information and experience?
0: Yeah, it's a great question because really it gets into, I mean, there's questions, will computers ever ever be intelligent? Will computers ever, ever be creative? Will they ever have intuition? And creativity and intuition, I think, add a great perspective because in the field of artificial intelligence, there's been almost this narrow focus on intelligence. And only really recently in the last couple of years, there's been some... Some people also looking at, well, what about creativity and intuition, and and those are really separate concepts. They they overlap intelligence certainly, but you can measure them and analyze them separately. And so, um, so those add a great perspective. And to your question about when will we have creative computers, I mean, we we definitely have seen some low scale creativity with some of these specific types of things like uh, generative adversarial networks that we can talk about. Right. Um, but I think what we're seeing is the degree of human creativity that scientists and artists is orders of magnitude beyond that. So that was kind of the the impetus on the hybrid approach as well. So is there anything, and I keep wanting to get back
1: to some of these other things, but what what makes you, I think we've talked about what makes you most optimistic about what AI, but what, what might concern you the most? I don't want to say scare.
0: Yeah, great question. Again, with any technology, there, there is the potential, so it's almost like looking at um, not, not going down the wrong path with the human use of, of the negative side as compared to the positive side. For me, I, I do feel like when the Internet itself came out and when we had things like Wikipedia, if, if you felt that hum- humanity and humankind are net negative people – then the bad would outweigh the good and Wikipedia would be full of false and fake information. But surprisingly, it. there's way more people interested in the truth and in good than there are sort of trolls out there. And to me, that was definitely encouraging. And I think if we look at the potential for weaponized or rogue AI that could be used, you know, for mass warfare or slaughter, and, and we're trying to foresee and think about how to assess those risks right now. I think the best ap- approach is to augment ourselves in the way that we're looking at those those risk factors, um, and, and then we'll be augmenting superhuman ability to assess those risks and also to make sure we're not going down the wrong path. Uh, but in terms of what probably in the short term, what concerns me the most, um, I mean, of course, you have sort of an arms race between the U.S. and China, and certainly the military research organizations are – are not going to be party to any kind of pacts for, you know, pacifist AI just from a practical perspective. Um, so, I mean, for me, I think the best bet is is to really make sure we have enough uh, research and development on friendly AI to sort of complement that. Got it. Well,
1: well put. Yeah. And I don't want to go entirely down that rabbit hole. I'm just thinking about, <laughs> I, I don't know it's it it becomes it becomes a bit overwhelming to ponder, and I guess I was thinking is at, at the core level, would there be any way, and I don't think there is <laughs> to to code some sort of base ethics, or is somebody working on that <laughs>
0: I yeah well, that's an interesting idea I, I actually think that there is something to the fact that the vision that you set really drives how you develop technology. And if your vision is just racked by fear or paranoia or anger, you're going to build that into it. And so certainly if, if you have sort of altruistic intentions, then that's going to help drive the development of the technology as well. So, I mean, I think there is something to the, the, I guess the mindset of the developers that are, that are building those and how that, But in in terms of trying to pre code these sort of tripwires to stop rogue AI from spreading, I I think we're too early stage to even really get into that at this point. There has been some interesting research published, but I, I feel like we'll need a lot more augmentation to really get into that.
1: Got it. I just figured I'd throw it out there. So let's bring it back to you as a great entrepreneur, a creator, a thought leader, a thoughtful person, um, I know that there were, and you cover these in the book, I mean, there, there are days you're worried about, you know, things like payroll and debts. And 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 so I guess I'm going to go through some of the standard questions that we use in our interviews. And, and then one of them is just, how, how do you, A, B, battle through tough days?
0: Yeah, well that's a great question. I mean, I think everyone's gonna go through low points and days when you feel like you should just fold your chips, you know, in <laughs> and, and like the final bit of bad news that it bursts that final little glimmer of hope you had and and it's it's game over. And we certainly had plenty of those days. Right. Yeah. Is there
1: any any in particular uh you could share or if you don't want well, that's fine too.
0: Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of things. There were times where we were late on payroll because we we were, an order came in late, or we thought we had an order in the bag for you know a big major customer, and then that means that their CIO had left the company, and now a new one was coming in, and uh, we had no idea if if they would carry forward. So there were all these these little things, and and then just kind of miraculously, when we thought we were you know the lights were about to dim, and another <laughs> one would come in, and lights would turn back on. So there's <laughs> definitely quite a few of those. That's incredible. Um, so
1: I'm just looking here with the next. So I don't know if I want to go into this now, but I might as well. How? How do you define success?
0: mmm that's kind of a deep one i, yeah, I would,
1: well i know you're you you uh studied a lot of philosophy you read a lot of philosophy books again as an entrepreneur i i, I just my sense is you've you put some thought into this. I'd love to hear your answer
0: yeah well that's definitely one that makes you kind of reflect i, I would say for me, success is part al always it's, it's in part setting goals, of course, and then working towards this, but there's a part of it where, at least for me, you're, you always need to continue to grow and be evolving to the next level towards maybe even, you know, transcendence. And, and so it's both maybe hitting goals, but then also not, not just freezing and, and, and calling, calling it quits. Um, and, and for me, looking at, of course, my particular focus area being artificial intelligence, more broadly defined, success for me would be really getting I, I would say forming a community where we get the key technologists working together towards towards the, the positive vision of AI and how it can truly empower humans to transcend some of our our current limitations, biological or otherwise. I mean that's a pretty lofty thing. Uh, but for me if personally if any small thing I do puts us one Many step in that direction. That would be a that would be a win. That's beautiful. And
1: and again, I mean, given its habits to goals, um, you know, there's there's a lot of the word I'm using air quotes goals in that definition of success. And what what I find really interesting too, you you said about you talked about self growth, and and certainly that's what this shows all about as well that's um,
0: that's awesome and the, and that the habits to goals and success is such a powerful framework that uh yeah that's a really really great synergy there
1: beautiful so you must be reading off my sheep because that's the next thing if you were going to tell us uh your top two or three habits the things that that make you the man you are today what what might they be and you don't have to stop at 3
0: Yeah, well, a couple, one would be, um, I guess a borderline obsessed obsession with this area, which, which gives me the passion to pursue artificial intelligence, you know, for the good and for augmentation of of humanity. And I think that following the passion gives rise to the habits, which include a lot of perseverance, a lot of focus and when i trans- translate that down another level it means that there's going to be ups and downs but that's going to you know keep me focused on uh, even during the down periods uh, continuing to, to build and and work on technology in terms of other habits uh one would actually be a balance between uh you know work sessions and work ethic but also recharging the batteries and having a morning routine of uh nice. you know, in my case, some exercise and meditation and that kind of thing. So making sure to have have that balance and help keep that kind of level headed approach.
1: Well, I was kind of hoping you'd go down that road. So exercise and meditation. Any particular diet habit you have going on, or just drinking a lot of water?
0: <laughs> well, I have dabbled in some of the, I guess, low things, but not certainly not consistently. And I guess the only reason for doing that is because then I can. Indulge when I want to, and and sort of choose my calories for what I want to want to spend them on. But uh, really. so I haven't really finalized on one particular diet, but I, I try to eat healthy overall. Beautiful.
1: So I'm going to deviate out of my routine questions to get back to something I couldn't read in my own notes, which is you talk about. I think you're labeling the the fourth economic revolution. And, and I want you to, and I may have that number wrong, so, but elaborate on that concept, why, why this is an economic revolution.
0: Yeah, I think when, when we look back at some of the previous economic revolutions from things like steam and electricity and then just digital computers and how it led to really a step change in productivity that propelled humanity forward and in, in, in various measurable ways, and so looking at looking at artificial intelligence as another step change that can give us an order of magnitude improvement. But in this case, not just the way that productivity has improved in in past economic revolutions where th- there was this massive improvement, but then a lot of the benefits weren't necessarily equally shared. And then, you know, other other types of things. In some cases, it was a zero sum. Uh, you know, sharing in those benefits, there was certainly the quality of life has continued to improve. But um, so I think looking at this economic revolution, I saw some differences in the sense that we finally have a chance to transcend some of the sort of historical economic zero-sum limitations where everyone could be augmented to a level where uh, some of our current challenges would just, would be, uh, would be gone. So,
1: what what's an example of of some of these zero sum? I mean, if if any come to mind.
0: Well, I mean, so the and zero sum economics, right? If if one person gains more of the pie, it's it's taking it away from someone else. And, and in a positive some sort of abundance post scarcity world, if if we had solved energy and clean energy and environmental type type challenges. Where there was sort of abundant um energy, we didn't have some of the limitations that we have right now, and we had a lot more freedom, both economically and otherwise what we we're interested in so and, and sorry oh, yeah. so
1: you see a i as as bridging that that gap making, for instance, power more plentiful or or human effort. If, if it's, if it's reduced over here, it's gained over here and, and that makes other resources more plentiful, that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, definitely that sort of thing. And there's, there's certainly some things to work out along that path because, (laughs) but, you know, people talk about a basic income and then you just might say, well, what would be an abundant income? And then there's still a certain amount of competition and some of that is actually healthy to sort of motivate people to, to work harder, but, Uh, So there's there's some things that as as we evolve to a higher level of of thinking, maybe that um, that it will still have to be solved. But I think there's there's a massive opportunity to do that. Okay, got it.
1: So let's go back to Mr. Bates, then. Um, If you were giving advice to your 20 year old self, knowing the road that you have traveled um what might you tell yourself assuming you'd be smarter and actually you would be smart enough to pay attention
0: <laughs> yeah well, no, that would be really interesting i mean if i went back to, to that time frame in, in the 2000s I, part one thing would be to not worry so much about uh, what competitors are doing or, or negative news you read in the media, but to just really focus on, uh, the, what, what I was passionate about and building the technology and, and everything else will just sort of work itself out and to not get distracted. So that would be one thing. I think when you're starting out, you tend to really keep an eye on all the potential bad news and risks and maybe, you know, waste some unnecessary cycles on that. And, for example when we were acquired we were shocked to find out that um you know our, our our sort of the big goliath in the industry was GE and we found out that actually um they were pretty scared of us um at least there there were some opportunities we were doing doing really well and winning some accounts and, and whereas we were living in abject paranoia of these these large gargantuan competitors so one thing would just be to sort of really just focus on your customers, your technology and not, not worry too much about what everyone else is doing.
1: So you were, you were paranoid about this big competitor that ultimately acquired you anyways. Well,
0: and we actually were acquired by a company called Aspen Tech, but, but GE, um, we, we had a chance and a number of their employees came over to, uh, to Aspen Tech post acquisition. So we just, yeah. we, we heard kind of the inside scoop, I guess. Amazing. So,
1: and talk to me, Share. we're, we're rounding third here. So we're almost done, my man. Um, what are some of the transformative books, some of the formative books, some of your favorite books that have helped uh, shape your mindset? If you could share two or three, that'd be great.
0: Yeah, well one would definitely be uh Kevin Kelly's The Inevitables which is is a great look. He was the the editor in chief at Wired Magazine and it's it's a great look at the future and trends including artificial intelligence, um, a lot of other really interesting trends. He talks about the transition from sort of uh things like having a car to automotive services and really gives a great framework for thinking about some of these, these evolutions that we're going to see. So that would be a key one. Uh, another one would be uh, Peter, Peter Thiel and his book zero to one. I thought he gave a great, great framework for thinking about, um, you know, how to make these technology to lead to natural monopolies, but that can really carve out um, major advantages. And, and that was another great book. Um, I'd probably throw in habit factor because that. that was- <laughs> you did not read that. I, I actually I do have that book and I have read it. It's uh, wow. I I think I think really because that gets into more at a practical level. How do you how do you set up your routines and your and, yep. and to make habits come more sort of on autopilot? So that'd be another great. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's awesome. Oh man, you're killing me.
0: Beautiful. Um.
1: So and and going back to Kevin Kelly, he's the guy you said came up with the the centaur centaur
0: centaur yeah he 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 labeled he came up with that label i i believe he invented it if not at least he certainly popularized it in his book
1: got it and we are just about done but the uh any tech tool website, app, something you cannot live without?
0: Hmm. Well, I, for me, especially as I got into some writing, Evernote was invaluable just for over the years, whether it's on my iPhone or iPad or laptop, uh, whenever I have a spare moment, I just, I'll record a little note uh, into that. And that actually ended up laying the groundwork for the book that I ended up writing. So I think having a, having that tool to force you to sort of store all your notes in one place instead of being scattered all over the place. That was a, that was a key one for me. So,
1: and I know I probably said it six times, but this book is so good. It is. And I'm, I can't, I mean, I'm not just saying that it's, it's amazing book. It's incredibly well-written. It's deeply researched. Um, I'm only eighty percent done. Now we're going down the whole the rabbit hole about the creativity and the, um, you know, the music, generating music and generating art. And I'm sitting there going, "Is this? Is it art? If a computer generates <laughs> it, I'm just like, oh my god!" But your book is just magnificent, and I'm just I'm blown away. So, augmented mind. Is there any other app or book you want to mention, share?
0: Uh, Well, gosh, I I mean, I use so many apps that are are really invaluable. I I almost feel like we've augmented ourselves with these (laughs) apps on our our mobile devices. Uh, And I, I think for the net positive, like if you outsource phone numbers or calendar, then hopefully you're reallocating that in your brain. But yeah, there's so many I depend on now. I mean, I use Trello for... Tracking projects in Trello. Trello is amazing, isn't it? Trello is a really great one. Just the visual, it's just simple, but with the right right feature sets, um, and and I mean, of course, Zoom for meetings. Um, yeah, pretty pretty major list, but um, a lot okay. of great. Work.
1: Well, that's great, and and so you you say you say things sometimes. I'm not sure people necessarily grasp and And what you just said was a fantastic example of because of the telephone or smartphone, we have all these nobody remembers the ten thousand numbers that they have on their phone, so they are free freely offloading hopefully some available RAM in their minds
0: right very well put that's that's exactly right yeah
1: well i've <laughs> The, yeah, I have always said like, you know, the the mind, the brain, I should say is just, you know, depending on it might be 500 megs, it might be a terabyte, but the point is there's some limitation and every mm-hmm. time you're taking in something, it's preventing something else potentially from fitting in there. And you just you just said it, you just went through it and I think it's worth reiterating. So your grand view for AI is that all of these, there's so many other minuscule tasks along the lines of remembering a phone number that will make our lives so much easier and better.
0: Yeah, so, that's that's really fundamental. And and in the next generation of artificial intelligence solutions, I, I think the the virtual assistant metaphor is not not a good metaphor. We talked about that a little bit in the book. But really, to look at what are our human strengths, and if we offload some of these low-level menial things that we maybe waste some of our limited RAM, as you put it, um, <laughs> imagine what we could really achieve once we unlocked our and be, we're able to focus a hundred percent of our creativity and in- intelligence. So, definitely excited about that that possibility.
1: Well, that's a great way. I think to wrap it up, if you have any closing comments, I just want to say thank you again for the education, the enlightenment and the entertainment. Um, but certainly if you have anything other than, and we're going to link to the book, but if there's anything you're promoting or you want to share, otherwise make sure you get that to me. We'll hang it off the show notes. Um, thank you again, Alex. That was brilliant. Again, you have the floor if there's anything you want to say on your departure
0: well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I've been a big fan of your show and, and your your writing as well and um, yeah, just if anyone's interested in, in community which we' we're, we're evolving uh, we're going to be launching a, a series of events um, we'll probably be posting them on neocortex ventures as one of our websites, but we can give you explicit links, but really, a key goal is to develop a community of everyone interested in in this really augmented path for humanity and i think a lot of the key players in ai have already expressed interest but um i think we're um you know we're looking to connect with anyone interested in that in that area
1: that's fantastic even better way to end it and i'll tell you uh <laughs> yeah what a great comment the the book launch party that you did was tremendous and the talks were great and um, Just thank you so much for for doing your work and painting a a prosperous and positive future as it relates to AI. Alex, thank you so much, sir.
0: Martin, thanks. It's been great.
1: All right. Hang out before, as we say goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye. Uh, will do. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible.com, there are over 180,000 titles to choose from. If there's one thing I know, and I think Jim Rohn was the one who said this originally, in five years, the difference in your life will be largely based upon two things, the books you've read and the relationships you have fostered. Doesn't it make sense to take advantage of the downtime, whether you're on the road, on a run, in the gym, kill a couple birds with one stone, get a book going. It's phenomenal. It's I The more people I turn on to it, the more uh, compliments I get, not that I've actually done anything, 180,000 titles to choose from. You get one free book a month, 30% off any other book. Again... Check it out, audibletrial.com forward slash habits to goals. I'm going to say that again real quick, audibletrial.com forward slash habits to goals, and that is the number two. And of course, when you support our sponsors, you are supporting the show. So thank you again. I am extremely grateful. We'll see you at the next episode.